Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where I answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy Dunlap from Guy Shop, and as always, with me today are my co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Say hello, guys. Hello. 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 It sounds like something on NPR. <laughs> we do depend your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and send it. You can also email us at JJ. Perfect first layer at gmail.com. Thank you. And we also have a Patreon account. We only have one level right now and basically a tip jar. So we're asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to patreon.com slash perfect first layer. And as always, we're going to talk about what we've got going on in our labs right now. Nathan, what's going on, brother? Well, I've got a, uh, a Chidi Tech X Smart 3. So that's their kind of bamboo lab response uh, printer. It's got carbon fiber rails and it's a core XY construction, very similar to the bamboo labs printers. So I'm checking that out. And uh, so far it seems like it's excellent hardware and the software could use some work. Like, you know, they, they kind of rushed it out a little bit and sometimes it'll like crash into the walls and the, uh, the slicer <laughs> will install on my computer. But, um, Fortunately, there's workarounds for that, and that's all software that they can fix after the fact, and I hope they do. Um, but so far, it seems like a great piece of hardware coming in at a really nice price. And Does that thing use Clipper? I think it runs some sort of Clipper. Uh, I wasn't able to get the network functionality working on it. So there's like a, a couple of things that need to be addressed. But the base mechanical hardware is very good on it, and I've been able to get some really good prints off of it. Um, Unfortunately, I'm using the SD card method to get things over to the printer, which uh, some people don't like. But I, I kind of am used to that workflow, so it's, it's not like too you're living in the Stone Age back there. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And then um, I've also got a laser engraver that I've been playing with. It's a Laser Pecker LP3, and I've got some feelings about it. I'm a little concerned about the safety of these unenclosed lasers. I mean, a, yeah, I watched that. I watched part of that live stream. That you yeah. add on. That's a fiber laser, right? Right. Yeah. And the issue is that you don't really know if you're going to get eye damage. And the <laughs> safety glasses that they provide aren't like professional certified and tested. So when it comes to lasers, when it comes to cheap lasers for me, it's just like that just say no to drugs campaign. <laughs> I'm going to say just say no to lasers unless they have all the proper safety um, implementations in place which means fully enclosed. Um, like it's fun to watch the laser, but you really shouldn't be looking at a laser like that, especially mm -hmm. one that's powerful enough to vaporize metal and mm -hmm. burn wood. Like, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to be changing my attitude on laser safety on my channel and just kind of, you know, switch around a little bit. One of, the, one of the things I do with mine when I use it, I have a, a, a board that I built with a stand on it. And it's like an L-shaped thing. It goes up and over about 12 inches. And I put that as I, I put a camera on it, a webcam, so I can make sure it's printing right. And I look at that. I know it's a really goofy setup. But I look at that, and I've got this thing in front of it. There's no way I can see the laser. Yeah. I'm always looking yeah. through a camera. I, I um, think that's 100% that, the way it should be. And that works mm -hmm. really, really well. So... So lately I've been um, 
just having it in another room and having a really long USB cable and starting up the print jobs that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, it's really a blessing to have two working eyeballs and to, <laughs> to be playing around with a laser that could put an end to that is like, that's not something you want to be messing around with. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. What else that's you got a, going that's on? a different scale than like a 3d printer or it's yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yeah. what else? Uh, I'm, I'm, not a whole lot else. Those are kind of my two big projects right now. Um, I will say that, you know, let's just stick with 3D printers. Those are those seem to be a little bit safer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I did like about that thing was how small you were able to print and just put stuff on there that was really tiny. And it right. did a, a really nice job. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a very impressive machine, but you know you got to respect the power of the laser. And uh, I think I'm going to do a video on how to operate it safely, which will involve using some extra equipment that they don't provide in the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good idea. So, what do you got going on, JJ? Yeah, so I'm currently putting a new, reviewing a new board uh, control board for a 3D printer right now. Uh, putting Clipper on a few extra printers now that I got the Sonic Pad. Um, it seems really good at controlling multiple printers. And so I was like, well, might as well use that functionality now. Um, and really diving into resin printing um, should be like May is going to be my month of resin printing. And I'm, there's so much of learning that I've done. It's so much harder than FDM 3D printing. So, so right now, I just want you to imagine JJ diving into a giant vat of resin. That's a giant him. vat. <laughs> Literally diving in. Spilling it everywhere. I've already had one big spill. So you've just got the one printer or you have two? I've got one right now, but I think Creality might be sending me another one. You've got a new one coming out. And so I might be having a few. And it's such a, it's like it takes full effort to learn. It's so different. It's just so much different than FDM 3D printing. It's a completely different animal. Yeah. I've... I've heard people say it's easier to get started with resin 3D printing, um, and they're glad they started with resin. Huh. What do you think? I feel about like that? Uh, there's less settings for tuning in your resin 3D printers, but the downside is if you don't have a perfect first layer, then it takes 10 to 15 minutes before you can know that your print has failed. So you just got to keep letting it print until it raises out of the vat, and so it's. Sometimes you spend so much time just sitting there waiting and your settings were wrong and you've wasted a bunch of resin and time on a failed print. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Is there some kind of like automated bed leveling like we have in uh, FDM printing? I think some of them have automated bed leveling. Um, I'm not exactly sure why some prints fail and some prints work yet. Um, But... It just sometimes doesn't work and sometimes does. Is it does. not sticking or? Yeah, it's just print uh, it not sticking to the bed. And so I've ordered some new beds and I'm still learning a lot. <laughs> yeah. well, I think all three of us are going to be getting into resin more now, especially mm-hmm. with Creality. They're, they're really trying to hit the market in the resin scene. Yeah. So they've yeah. sent out a lot of review units for their Halo Mage. Yeah. yeah. It's got it's... a lot of neat features on it. It's got all this stuff built into it, which is pretty nice. Luckily, I did get a few really good test prints out of it, and so that hooked me. So I'm hooked, and I'm in, and I want to get it working because it's it's insane the amount of detail you can get out of these resin prints. I've I've had one for about a year, 
Mm-hmm. And I use it now and then when I need like parts for something that I need to make sure they're like the perfect size and everything. Mm-hmm. And I need them smooth. I want them to look good. Yeah. But they're not like going to see any stress or anything. Yeah. You know, like cases for screens and things like that. Um, I use it for that. And it's it's done pretty well. You know, I've, I haven't used it extensively, but I've used it, I use it some. I'm glad um, I have it when I need it. I don't want to get into a technical deep dive right off the bat, but um, no. I've been talking with a, a local company to like local to where I live, and yeah. they specialize in uh, putting um, metal coatings on resin printed parts. So they'll print mm. the part out of resin and then they'll plate it. And then you get these really nice, smooth, liquidy, metallic looking parts. And uh, one of their specialties is putting a, it's like a 0.25 millimeter thick layer of metal onto your parts. So it becomes a structural part and you can have like your little metal lattices and stuff. And uh, it should look pretty cool. I'm going to see if I can get some, uh, some footage of their process and see how it works. Yeah. That'd be be interesting. That'd be very, very interesting. So one of the things I think we're all three of us are going to be working on at some point in time is the, the, the new K one from Creality, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. You guys are getting engineering samples. I declined the engineering sample. I want a production model. <laughs> you want one that actually works? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want one that I, I, well, I think that for me anyways, cause I'm not an expert like you guys is that I, I want to show the, my viewers what they're actually going to get. Mm-hmm. And that's something that might need this or might need that. Mm-hmm. So that's not my, that's not my bag. That's um, a, that's a great idea. Yeah. A good approach to take there. Um, I think the versions that we're going to be getting are going to work, but the way that the Creality spokesperson described it is the sec- the production batch will be more perfect. So the first <laughs> ones are going to be good. Don't worry. So, yeah. There might be maybe a little bit of issues with them, but the, the production ones should be better. So what what do you think is exciting about the K1? I feel like it's them bringing in, I mean, uh, Bamboo Labs brought out all these really nice features to it. And so then Creality now being like, oh, we could just, what if we use carbon fiber rods? What if we put some LiDAR on our machine? Or, you know, kind of taking these other things and throwing them into these printers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's exciting to see it broadening out. Are you guys getting the K1 or the K1 Max? The K1. The Max um, coming out later. Yeah, the Max isn't coming out for a little while. I'd like to get both. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. see how that goes. Yeah. You were going to say something, Nathan. I'm sorry I interrupted. Oh, that's fine. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about the K1 is they're using larger stepper motor pulleys mm. for the timing belts. Um, they're larger diameter, so that changes the effective gear ratio. So what we're used to seeing on virtually all 3D printers is I think it's about a 20 tooth belt. That's Mm -hmm. about, you know, three quarters of an inch in diameter. Um, But the K1, based on the pictures that I've seen, it looks like it has pulley, uh, pulley, what do you call (laughs) timing belt pulleys that are about one inch in diameter. So they're much larger and should have a, a good increase in top speed because of that. 
you lose out a little bit on the because uh, because the gear reduction changes. You lose out on the amount of force you can apply to the belt. But they, I think they're countering that by using larger stepper motors. And if you look at their mm-hmm. uh, the footage, they have these big old stepper motors that are like fifty percent bigger than what you see on most other three D printers. And then they pair it with that larger wheel. So I think they should actually be able to reach higher top speeds. One other thing I, I saw that was interesting, they, the frame on it, they're saying it's a die cast frame. Hmm. I don't know if it's one piece or how many pieces they've cut that die cast frame up into, but I think that's interesting. I think it's going to be a very stiff frame. Yeah. So what I would expect is maybe the bottom whole plate, the whole bottom plate could be die cast. And to me, it looked like the uh, all the corners were made out of extruded aluminum, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a wait and yeah. see thing. That's cool so. to see what uh, what Creality can bring to the manufacturing market, since they've had so much experience with this manufacturing, just you know stuff. They've been in the game for a while, right? So yeah. they have access to these, yeah. you know, more advanced methods. I read an interview with a the Creality CEO that came out recently and they were saying they've shipped over 5 million units. Wow. Whoa. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. That makes them a player. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, if I, if I sold 5 million, anything I'd be rich. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, of course. But, uh, anyways, uh, enough about that. So, We've got some questions, and one of the questions we did not get to last week, or last two weeks ago, and this is from hers or Hertz. How do you how do you pronounce that, Nathan? Do you know? Like him and hers. Hers? I think hers. So, Herzlnerk. Herzlnerk. Um, he asks, how does Guy feel about wood filament? Because I guess I'm the wood guy a little bit. Um I've used wood filament for a couple things. Actually, I got one right here, which is my uh, my headphone stand. That I'm sure you oh, guys nice. have seen yeah. before. It's the, but this is made out of wood, and I actually stained it and sanded it and put finish on it. And it looks like it's cherry. It looks uh, incredible, yeah. It's really super strong. Printing with wood takes a lot of patience you have to make sure that you dry it thoroughly and you print it while it's in the dry box mm. and it's extremely brittle yeah so i'd recommend doing it with a direct drive extruder and you have to make sure you have a really clear path from the spool to the head because if there's any bends or anything in it just a little bit of a you know a retraction and then it, it, it does whatever the thing that it'll snap. I've had mm-hmm. that happen a bunch yeah. of times. I tried printing out some, some parts for something else I was working on in wood because I wanted them in wood and it just, I couldn't get it to work. So guy, what kind of uh, 3d printer were you using for that? Uh, that time I was using my uh, Prusa bear clone. Okay. A so that should have, long bear thing, yeah. And that should have had a pretty good chance of succeeding since it's direct drive and it's got a pretty straight path. Yep. Yep. I, would, I wouldn't want to be in a situation where you're trying to print it with a Bowden tube. No, no. Um, but it does work well. And depending on how hot you get the filament, 
it darkens the hotter you do it. Mm. So the the filament I've got is a light colored. It's a, I think filamentum. Mm, yeah, maybe like I can't that. remember. Does um, yours have a strong maple smell? <laughs> no, the, the one I have from Anilin or Amelin or something. It smells like maple syrup when I'm printing it. Like it's really? very strong. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. It's, it makes me <laughs> <you> want pancakes. <laughs> Have you ever used it, Nathan? Um, I have a spool and I thought about printing some, but I haven't got around to it. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, I'm concerned about uh, the reliability and um, how brittle the filament might be. And it, it just seems like it's mm-hmm. if I crack open that spool of filament, I know I'm going to spend the next like three days working on it. So <laughs> I'm a little worried about it. Well, what else, what else have you got to do, right? Right. I feel like I... I haven't had that many issues with it cracking, um, but yeah, it does take some tuning in with the yeah. retractions and stuff. And you've got to print it slow. To get right. Yes. Yeah. It has got to be printed a little bit slower. Yeah. I've so also got some uh, Polymaker Polywood that I've used, and that's an interesting, looks like wood filament, but there's no actual wood fiber yeah. in there. It kind of just foams up after it's printed and stuff. It looks amazing. Um but without that delicious maple smell that you would expect from maple from wood filament. Well, the thing I really liked when I when I did this headphone stand was that I could sand it down really super smooth, and then I actually stained it. Yeah. With a custom dye that I use for cherry when I when I build things out of cherry, and I put a shellac finish on it, and it feels and looks like it's been carved out of wood. It's actually pretty nice. Um, I, I, I don't think you can stain PLA, but <laughs> no. this does stain. So it's kind of, it's kind of neat. It's kind of neat. One thing, um, that you brought up that I n- didn't know about before is that you can just change the color based on like cooking the wood essentially. Mm-hmm. So it might be cool to be working on a nameplate and print the whole thing out. And then when you're printing the letters, yeah. increase the temperature like five or 10 degrees get a little, a little bit darker. So multicolor printing with one filament is a pretty unique draw. Yeah, that's that's a, really cool. a sweet idea. I may try that because I still <laughs> got, I still have about a half a roll left. I'll give it to you. The, the, the color variation isn't that great. Okay. Mm, yeah. It's, it's there, but it's not like it's white versus black. It's tan versus a little bit darker tan. It's just a shade darker. Shade too darker. Have you tried turning it up to 300 C? <laughs> no. Really cook it. Or just yeah. burn. Afraid it's going to catch on fire. Or, or ca- cause a nozzle clog, maybe. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, anyways, um, all right. Now we've got another question here, and this comes from Derek. And Derek says, hello from Tasmania. Wow, that's that's interesting. Really enjoying the podcast after consuming most of the Woodshop Life podcast. That's my other podcast, guys. <laughs> so he started woodworking. He branched out to 3D printing after getting a secondhand Creality CR6SE about a year ago. So the question is, is the preferred method for storing filament and keeping it dry? Also, is there a shelf life for filaments? If stored properly, could they be used indefinitely? How do you how do you guys store your filament? So yeah, it depends on the filament. I actually have a 
eight-year-old spool of PLA that I fired up recently, and it printed just fine. It was a hatchbox blue PLA. Like, you couldn't tell the difference. In fact, it printed nicer than some of my lower-quality spools I've received recently. So with PLA, I don't really see too much of an age difference. Did you did you store it in like a one of those vacuum bags or anything, or just like sitting there? It was just sitting there. I had to wipe, I had to blow the dust off of it, and uh, <laughs> just loaded it up and started printing. Um, I think the biggest concern with shelf life is going to be moisture and humidity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like PET- think a lot of that. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was thinking like PETG and a. Um, and nylon are kind Nylon's of a bad, yeah. Nylon's one of the worst offenders of the common plastics where you have to really dry it out before you print with it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What about what about you, JJ? Mine's all it's just up on a rack on the wall and I I print with some old filament. I I did I think yesterday ordered a uh, de- food dehydrator to try to dehydrate some of the older ones because when trying to print super thick, I tried this clear filament um, and it had a few bubbles that were coming out in it. And so I think on a small nozzle, I wouldn't notice the bubbles and I'd be fine. But for trying the thick one, I was like, let's try a food dehydrator, see if it works. Yeah. Um, in general with PLA, mine is just out because it's in an air conditioned environment. Um, but really depends on your local humidity and storage environment, I think. Yeah. Most most homes, newer homes, anyways, the HVAC systems—they're all you know. Your house is humidity controlled. Yeah. I know mine is. It's not you know. The house wasn't built in the '40s; it was built in the '80s. But you know, my my HVAC systems are upgraded. We have a humidifier and all that, so the the humidity level stays the same for the most part. I think some of these filaments they call them hygrosco- hydroscopic. Yeah, are like hygroscopic, hygroscopic, and they're like sponges, and they absorb moisture that's in the in the air. A lot of that, I know a lot of I I, I know a little bit about moisture changes from you know I'm going to bring up woodworking again because right. that's a big thing is wood constantly expands and contracts, and it can literally blow something up uh, if it's not taken care of properly. A lot of that has to do with where you live. Like on the West Coast, it's very, very, you know, like in the, the southwestern United States on the coast, it's really super humid. In Florida, it's really super humid. And uh, I would imagine a lot of that gets in the, the filament. Mm-hmm. I Another thing with storing wood, wood is big versus yeah. a spool of filament is uh, yeah. very compact. It makes it easier to store. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I know, I know PETG is hydroscopic and I store those in like those vacuum seal bags with a little mm-hmm. thing that pulls the air out and that works pretty good. I've, I haven't had any issues at all. Um, but I know that, you know, that wood filament we were talking about before, that has to be really super dry. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm drying it too much. That's why it's so brittle. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to test it for moisture yeah. content. But I uh, I do think a lot of companies try to sell you extra things for the v- listeners out there. They trying to um, they try to sell their own dryer bags and dryer boxes and this or that. Uh, for most people that mostly print PLA, I think you're fine. Um, I would say a lot of it is overhype. But if you're having issues, then yeah, try drying it out. 
Yeah. You've ever, have you ever had any issues at all with wet filament, Nathan? I've had issues with PETG and carbon filled uh, nylon, uh, carbon filled oh, yeah. nylon filament. Um, and with the PETG, I had a, a particular spool where I put it in one of those filament dryers and you could actually see the condensation on the top of the oh, wow. glass like Jeez. viewing port. So I think PTG definitely is one of those that you have to worry about a little bit more. Um, PLA rarely has problems for me, but you don't really know what's in a company's PLA blend. Like sometimes they'll mix in a little bit of PTG or a little bit of nylon or whatever to change its properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll affect its sensitivity to humidity. All right. Fair enough. He's got a second question here if we want to talk about it. Um, actually, he's got three questions. So let's just dive into this next one. That's a short answer. He says the pros and cons of having an enclosure on his printer. Mm-hmm. He says he prints a lot with PETG and PLA. And he mainly makes jigs and accessories for the workshop. For example, his TIG tungsten grinder, right angle grinding jig for festival sander, drill bit holders, etc. Is there any advantage for me to make an acrylic enclosure for my printer? Would I get any improvements in terms of quality? He says my house has climate control and also has very stable temp and humidity values. So if you're printing PLA and PETG, do you really need an enclosure on your printer? Um, I would say with uh, PTG and PLA, you're not going to have too much issues with warping. And that's kind of the main reason you'd want to get an enclosure is to like when you're printing materials that expand and contract a lot, like ABS, you'll print it down. And then by layer 10, all the corners are like all the way off the bed um, if you're printing without an enclosure. So the, the purpose of the enclosure is to just make a little small heated chamber where the the, um, the temperature is stable and you're not getting any random like drafts blowing by. Like when you walk past your printer, you're moving a lot of air, and that can actually like be like a, a uh, like a little gust of cool air and cause some curling issues. So what, what if you're what if you're really super skinny and you walk slow? <laughs> well, you can do that too. Um, but I, I like to run around and I'm not super skinny. So, <laughs> um, also if you're printing in like a garage or a, a, a basement or a shed or something that's not temperature controlled and it's getting on the cool side, you can get warping issues even with PLA and PETG. Or, um, I've seen this happen a lot when I'm printing really thick parts, like pretty much solid infill, um, the more plastic you're laying down, the more plastic there is to contract and pull. And it's basically just stronger and it's harder to resist that bending force. So um, you'll get more issues with warping and having that enclosure will help just cure that a little bit for your PLA and PTG. So it sounds like it could be worth it for him if he's having issues. Yeah, I think so. What do, what do you think? Sort of the, the, if he's having issues it could help with it. But if he's getting good quality out of it now, it could be fine. The other thing I was thinking of, I like enclosures for printing PETG. If you're around it and you don't like the smell of it, you can add a filter on it, which filters out that smell. I always print PETG in a different room versus I'll print PLA right next to me. And I don't really have, I have an air filter in the room, but PETG, I just really don't like that smell of it. And so... So it could be a way to filter it out if that's an issue for you. 
Yeah. Now that I have the bamboo uh, P1P, it, that it lives in my garage because I do end up putting mm-hmm. a lot of ABS on it. Yeah. And that stuff stinks horribly. Oh, yeah. But I, you know, I use the cardboard box that came in as an enclosure. And, you know, I walk in, I, I'll print ABS and I'll walk in and out of that garage, open up the garage door, close the garage door. It's 50 degrees outside. And I, I haven't had anything fail because of that. Yeah. And that prints fail, but not, you know, because of, uh, of not having an enclosure on it. So I guess... Derek, the, the the answer is yes, it can help if you're having issues. But if you're not having issues and you're main, mainly printing with PLA plus and PEC-G, and, you know, it might not be worth it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you could just use a cardboard box. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is it might actually cause issues if you're insulating it too yeah. much. Because <laughs> uh, PLA likes it to be a little bit cooler and having that open air will help it cool off a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of those printers like the, the, the bamboo lab and the new, uh, Creality K1, they actually have an extra blower fan that sits on the side and blows on the plate mm-hmm. to help with that. So, and that's mostly with PLA anyway. So we've got another question here, by the way, thanks for all the questions, guys. It, it really helps us out. It gives us something to talk about other than, you know, Silly things like wood shop, like wood shop. <laughs> hey, I got my one. I got my one wood shop thing in. I'm done. Yeah, maybe. So this comes from Brent, and he's having a problem with his layer walls. It says, "Hello, love the show. I'm currently a loss. I have been 3D printing for a year now, and I've had several solid prints on an Ender 5 Pro." We end up having a large storm, and it still worked afterwards, but with issues. I fixed most all of them by up. He didn't say what happened during the large storm. Maybe it was like a power failure. I fixed most of them by upgrading and replacing certain parts. But my current issue is that the walls of my prints are separated, not layer lines, but looking down at the walls, they are separated. So like from the top. Mm. When they were one before, and I've asked many 3D printing groups, and they only send me to the same websites that haven't been able to help. Any ideas? I'm ready to burn this product to the ground. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry for the length of this message. So it sounds like his, his walls are okay, but if you look at look down on, they're separating gaps between them. Yeah, yeah, gaps between them. What 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 do you think, JJ? So I find it's really helped with the the newest version of Cura or the Arachne slicer okay. that Cura has, and also um, the Prusa slicer has it as well. Now um, really helps with adjusting your layer width so it'll automatically do some fancy layer width adjustments to get your middle layers correct um so it could be a flow uh the flow percentage at least in cura is what it would be for making your walls a little bit thicker to make them merge together what what i see arachne all the time i i have a basic understanding of it is there a more technical explanation that you can give us that we could understand JJ. Yeah. So I would say the basics of it is making an adjustable line width. So for, if you're making a wall that's kind of of a more organic shapes are great for the arachne because it will adjust the line width instead of saying every line on this printer needs to be 0.4 millimeters wide. Mm -hmm. It will vary that 
to make it match whatever the shape needs to be. So that's okay. great for those middle wall shapes and stuff like that. Does that help when you've got like uh, something thin and it's like you're using two walls, let's say, or two perimeters, and it's got a little bit of infill in the middle? I always, when I see that, mm, when I slice yeah. something, I always just increase my my perimeters by one maybe to eliminate mm-hmm. that infill between, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The classic one is on on the, on the benchy, the little box on the back of the boat where... Mm-hmm two line widths isn't enough. And if it could do two and a half walls, it will fill in that gap on, if you're looking top down on the back of the benchy, that little box. Um, so whereas before a lot of people had that issue where there was that gap between the yeah. two wall layers and now it'll print two thick walls and one really thin wall in between um, to be a really good way to bridge things together. What? What about you, Nathan? What, is, is that the first thing you would look at is, you know, the, the how it's being sliced? Yeah, it could be the slicer. Um, that can definitely help to tune your slicer settings. Also, it could be under extrusion. So it might be worth doing an E-step calibration to make sure that, you know, when you request 100 millimeters of filament to be fed, it's actually pulling 100 millimeters of filament. Um, I've noticed that, especially on older machines and uh, actually the Bamboo Lab machine, I haven't actually tested it, but I suspect it's under extruding a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of manufacturers will only extrude about 97% of the filament or 95% when you're asking mm-hmm. for 100 millimeters because that improves your perceived print quality. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're getting to a perfect level of extrusion or even a tiny bit of over extrusion, it produces these artifacts on your top surface where it looks like uh, it's just kind of dragging some plastic around on the top and it looks a little messy. Um, but by under extruding a little bit, there's there might be tiny gaps, but those don't uh, show up as clearly in reflections and stuff. So they're setting it from the factory to under extrude to give you better prints. Isn't that what we all want is better prints? Well, yeah, so you get better print, perceived print quality. So you you look at it and the reflections coming off of it are really nice. What but, do you mean perceived? Uh, yeah, I mean, basically how your eyes perceive the part, uh, like visual print quality, I guess, is mm-hmm. another way to, uh, to think about it. But if you were to do like a mechanical strength test, um, because there's those little gaps in between the layers, it'll probably be a lot weaker. Um, so I always prefer to over extrude a tiny bit just to squish those layers together even more because I print a lot of functional parts. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a matter of, uh, what you're doing. And I guess most people just want the visual quality. Um, Mm -hmm. and the parts end up being strong enough for whatever purposes they're doing. But if you're trying to design something and make it as small and light as possible, then you want to get the maximum strength out of every part that you're printing. So it's just a, a difference in priorities. That's a it's a very good explanation. I mm-hmm. actually learned quite a bit from that, that <laughs> couple minute conversation. Uh, I hope that helps you out, Brent. And do you guys want to add anything else before we move to the next one? I think we got it. You know, yeah. we, okay. JJ with the software settings and me with the mechanical <laughs> settings. So yeah. that's the, right. the typical way we solve our problems here. It seems like. So one of the things that we didn't ask, answer from Brent, or not Brent, from Derek before, he's got another question here. Have you, have you ever had a 3D printer malfunction or catch fire 
which is a worst case scenario with extended or overnight use. Just wondering how well these machines might stand up to a longer period of use. I sometimes have to leave the house when there's there's a lengthy print happening, but I sometimes worry about what could happen when left unattended. Given their electronics plus heat and combination, any tips on safety and fire risk? JJ? Yeah, so I've had a few close calls on uh, one really bad printer that usually the issues are pretty quick to show up or they're pretty visible. So the first issue was a printer that showed up and had some loose connections in there. Um, So the printer was turning on and off randomly. Um, So in general, that's one of the main issues that could happen if, if things are loose underneath. So if you are worried about it, go underneath your printer, unplug everything, or unplug it from the wall first. Go underneath your printer and make sure all the screws are tight. Make sure all the wires are really secure in there. Um, and I think that should give you a good peace of mind. The next thing is, with since it's moving, if any wires are rubbing. So always check those, any rub points. Um, to, I had one, my first Anycubic Mega S, before I put cable chains on it, where it was just rubbing on the chassis and almost wore through those wires that were heating the bed up. And so double check to make sure things are correctly secure and have strain relief as they should. Otherwise it could turn into a fire. Um, But I think those are my two main checks of fire safety. Nathan. Yeah. um, It's a good question. And it's one that I don't think manufacturers are taking seriously enough. So when you look at, a typical hot end that's like the aluminum block with the little heater cartridge in it. If you just apply the 24 volts that it's using to heat that up just constantly, it'll actually heat that up to the point where it melts the aluminum and like, you know, that can drip down and the the heater cartridge can fall out and touch something and easily get to temperatures that could start a fire. So, um, One of the safety features that I really look for in a 3D printer nowadays is to find ones with the, um, it's the, it's the ceramic heating core element or some kind of ceramic heater, because those naturally will limit the power they deliver if in like a, a runaway situation. So they call it thermal runaway when you're just applying power and it's just getting hotter and hotter and like, you know, it's kind of like a meltdown scenario, um, with the ceramic heaters, if you just constantly apply 24 volts across it, it slowly starts to reduce the amount of power that's delivered to it to the point where it just kind of levels off around 320 Celsius, which is really hot, but it's not <laughs> as dangerous as like the the other situation where you can mm-hmm. have the, uh, the heater cartridge just fall out and be delivering. Uh, it can get up to probably 600 C or higher. So, um, mm-hmm. which, which is hot enough to light things on fire just by touching them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, I know plastic, I'm not talking about filament, but I know plastic is a, mostly a byproduct of oil. And that's, plastic is flammable. Mm-hmm. Is, is uh, filament flammable? I've never tried to ignite it. <laughs> yeah, filament is flammable. All, all the things that you print out of plastic are flammable, unless right. they're like a specific uh, like f- fireproof variant. So there's a uh, fireproof ABS, I think. They put some kind of fire retardant blend in with the, uh, with the plastic. 
And that's useful for a lot of applications where they, they have a fireproof requirement. So like if you're building parts for automotive or aerospace or something, they might have that kind of need. Um, so yeah, there's that. And then also the, the bed heaters, uh, most heated beds, uh, like on a typical Ender 3, they're running off of a 24 volt system. So, you know, it takes about five, three to five minutes for mm-hmm. it to get up to temperature, which is kind of annoying, but it's also that low power kind of bakes in a level of security and safety, because if you just throw the heat on it, it's going to level off around hundred or 110 Celsius. Mm-hmm. which is, you know, not enough to cause major issues. It's pretty pretty dang hot, but it's not going to like burst into flames at that point. But if you look at these um, printers that are running off of AC power. Yeah, I was going to say there's some printers that have AC yeah, heated right. beds. Especially if you're in a country that has 240 volts, that bed heats up in like 30 seconds or whatever. It seems like, wow, that's really fun. But if you project out like, if that power gets stuck on what the steady state temperature will be, it'll probably get up to hot enough to start a, start smoking or maybe start a fire. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, there, there needs to be something done about that to increase safety. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I, things I know- are moving, uh, moving away from, or it seems like AC beds were in the past and now most things are DC. Um, I'm not a fan of AC beds with just the danger of 120 volts slinging back and forth that quickly <laughs> with those yeah. wires. If that wire gets severed, 120 volts can end your life. And so everyone needs to be safe around 120 volts. Um, yeah. I always so, heard it's the amperage, not the voltage. That, yes. I'll get you. I've but been zapped by 240 mm-hmm. actually but if three it, or if four it times. it gets you correctly <laughs> and passes not through your heart, you'll be fine. Yeah. But that 240, in the if it passes through your body in a different way, could have gone the wrong way. Yes, yeah. it is the amperage. Um, but these I was powers working on a, a 240, 40 amp circuit. And Ooh, I yeah. didn't turn the breaker off when I started working on something. Oof. And I, I zapped myself. It actually, my fingertips, because it's always trying <laughs> to find the, the path of least resistance to, to, to go out. Yeah. And actually, my all my fingertips on the ends cracked open. Wow. wow. It was, it was it was brutal looking. I, I was, <laughs> you must have looked like a Sith Lord, like blasting some lightning out of your fingertips. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It happened pretty quick, and it scared it scared the hell out of me. I I, I think I made my pants too. Oh, nice. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, as far as fire goes on these things, I I understand the here in the states putting 120 volts on something that moves around a lot. But then you've got printers, let's say like a Voron. That where the bed is static, it doesn't move. Mm-hmm. And that's a big, you know, let's say up, up to 350 by 350, which is a huge print surface. So having a, a you know, a solid state relay in there going to a, a 120 volts, you would think is pretty safe. I mean, you've got a power mm-hmm. supply in there yeah. that's running 120 volts. As Especially- long as you're careful with the wiring mm-hmm. and it's well insulated and, and the wires aren't going to, be damaged i think it's pretty safe Mm -hmm. especially with the voron where when you're building it yourself putting in the proper safeties in there versus when a company manufactures it quickly slapping it off the line i wouldn't trust it as much i I would need to double check those things versus i built my voron and i put an extra little thermal fuse on there of the just in Mm -hmm. case 
you know, double checking and triple securing everything. Um, and so, yeah, I think if people are building those giant borons and are taking all the correct precautions and assembling it as well as they should be, um, it totally can be safe. Yeah. yeah. So, so I have a Bamboo Lab P1P teardown video that I filmed and I haven't actually made into anything. But one of the interesting things that I found was when I took the bottom off of the heated bed, mm. they actually have a bimetallic switch in there that when it reaches 160 degrees, it pops open. It's a thermostat switch and it, oh, it cuts yeah. the power delivery. So I think that's a really nice little feature. And I, it should be like a standard on AC heated beds or any mm -hmm. heated bed that can reach um, thermal runaway conditions. Uh, just to be able to have that mechanical backup safety is nice. Is the is the bam does bamboo have a, a 120 heated bed? Is it yeah. AC? Yeah, I believe so. Oh really? Huh. I didn't know because it takes a long time <laughs> yeah. to heat up. Yeah. yeah. So it heats up faster in 240 volt countries. Ah. <laughs> I think. Well, can't, can't we just apply 240 volt here? <laughs> yeah. I've got I, I've got plenty of 240 circuits in my in my shop. You should ask Bamboo Support and see if they're okay with that because uh, yeah. it could be nice. But then again, I'd prob they'd probably advise you to take the cardboard box off first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, the, it might be 240 volts, but I think the, the, the cycles per second is different on those. Uh, I don't know what it is. I know the 120 is 60 hertz and the mm -hmm. 240 also. I don't know what it is in Europe. I think it's 50 hertz. Which yeah. the power supply probably should hand could be able to handle both. Options. Yeah, it's, it's got a switch on there for you. Yeah, think it would. but my but the the circuit I have is not that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> Nothing. So it well, was amazing. Bam we got we got bamboo labs in there again. Right? <laughs> they always come back up. Yes. No matter what, it's like kind of like a bad penny, good penny actually. I've got mine out in the shop right now, printing some, printing some PTG, and uh, yeah. it has the cardboard box on it. I am not worried about it catching fire. <laughs> I guess the 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 thing to do is if you've got you know a, a printer and you are worried about it, I would put a smoke detector next to it mm -hmm. and have a fire extinguisher next to it, and that's just for your own peace of mind. So if you are home and you hear that smoke detector go off, you can mm -hmm. get in the room pretty quickly. And extinguish the fire if there is is indeed one. Mm -hmm. So and luckily, I I feel pretty secure with like if there were, ever was one, it would be on Reddit, and we haven't seen many since the old A net A eights. You know those were an issue, but like I don't what, know what caused the issue on those. Uh, I can't remember exactly. There was something with the power supply it was just cheap components, cheaply assembled. I think was the issue with that. Um, yeah, but we don't see as many issues anymore. Yeah. I, I, I feel very confident in almost everything I get. Um, you know, the computers have a AC power supply. It's a 12 volt. It's not mm -hmm. much different than a than power supply that's on a, on a printer. And I, I just, I, it's one of those things that myself, I don't worry about. The only thing I worry about is the hot end doing weird mm -hmm. stuff like thermal runaway. Yeah. Nathan was talking about before. All right. Anything else? Well, uh, yeah, I'll bring up. So, you know, you've got thermal runaway software protection baked into the firmware, but sometimes the components on the main board can fail in a way that it just st sets the um, 
the hot end on 100% of the time whenever it's plugged in. So there's there's failure cases and there's all sorts of safety measures that I think there should be some kind of standard design practices for 3D printer safety. Mm-hmm. But this is such a young uh, industry in terms of the consumer side of things that I feel like we're not really in a well-regulated state and people are mm-hmm. sometimes producing unsafe designs. So you got to watch yeah. out for it just a little bit. I, yeah. I see a, I see a lot of stuff on YouTube where they, everybody goes really into depth and they take the cape, bottom of the case off and they say, well, all the power, it's all got ferrules on it or it's got the right connectors on it. And I mean, I look at that stuff too, but I don't, I, I guess I just don't obsess over things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is one thing to look at is the, the connectors and how they're, they're put in there. I, I, I would not want to take a, a bare 120 volt without some type of connector on it and stick it in one of those little screw down terminals. Um, that is asking for trouble because if that thing shorts or arcs, which it can, cause it's right next to something that will strand, especially with stranded wire. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it can cause problems anyways. Yeah. Okay. I think we're the, the the legs are up in the air on that one. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that answers all the questions we have for now. And remember, guys, we do need your questions. So, go to our submit page at at um, perfectfirstlayer.com or email us at JJ perfectfirstlayer at gmail.com. All right, Nathan, why don't you tell everybody where you can be found at online? I'm on YouTube, uh, Nathan Builds Robots on YouTube. So yeah, just head over there. All right, JJ? And I'm at YouTube at JJ Shankles. And I've got a few comments where people have been mentioning the podcast. So uh, if you're seeing any of our videos, be sure to do that because it's good encouragement. I like it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So if you are listening out there, go over to, to Apple Podcasts if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And leave a nice five-star review. It really helps us out in search rankings. And, uh, of course, we truly appreciate your support and feedback. I can be found at, you just search any media for Guy's Woodshop. Um, and YouTube on Guy's Shop. So, all right. Thanks so much for the, for the talk, guys. And we'll see you next time. All right. See you. Bye.